0: Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Consider the reckless risk takers at the famous Heart Attack Grill in Las Vegas. The restaurant is known mainly for its high fat menu. It includes such delicacies as its flat liner fries, which are cooked in pure lard. But it is the hamburgers that appear to be living up to the reputation. The restaurant's most recent victim, a woman, was eating a double bypass burger, which is lathered in cheese and bacon. Before she could finish, she collapsed and was taken to the hospital where she is currently recovering. Owner John Basso said that he wishes the customer a swift and full recovery, but takes no responsibility. He added that his restaurant is a bad-for-you-but-fun restaurant that attracts people who don't really care about their health. They even offer a quadruple bypass burger, which can top 10,000 calories. Bossa said the Guinness World Book of Records contacted him Friday to say that that burger was being crowned the most caloric sandwich on the face of the earth. When I read that, it astounded me that people would take such risk with their health. But we can be just like that sometimes, can't we? What do I mean? Even when we know sinful behavior is bad for us, at times we keep engaging in that behavior anyway. This is what the Bible calls being a slave to sin, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Look at verse 33 with me. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? If you recall from last week, we left off in verse 32 where Jesus proclaimed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. What do you mean be made free? Protested the Jews. We are a people of Israel and Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to any man. Forgive my active imagination, but if Jesus had just taken a drink of water, I think he would have spit it out laughing. Really? You say you've never been in bondage to anybody? What about when you were in bondage to Pharaoh for 400 years, baking bricks in the brutal burning Egyptian sun, century after century? What about the 305 years chronicled in the book of Judges, where you were in bondage to seven different nations? What about the year 722 B.C. when the Assyrians, a people so cruel that merely upon hearing they were coming, many nations would commit mass suicide? Remember, they used fish hooks in the mouth of your forefathers to lead them captive to Assyria. What about the Babylonians, who in 586 B.C. destroyed not only the temple, but the entire city of Jerusalem? What about the fact that even as you speak these words, you are in submission to Rome right now? But you're right. Other than that, you guys are the paragon of what freedom is. Now, this was all patently ridiculous, of course. Yet they said... We have always been free. Truly, their rejection of Jesus rendered these scribes and Pharisees incapable of both viewing their history correctly and discerning their situation presently. And that is the danger of bondage. What I mean is, we can be shackled and still convince ourselves that we are free. How come? because very often it can take a long time for the results of bondage to be realized. I like to refer to a sermon that I preached back in 2015 concerning the life of Samson. For in it, we are given a vivid example of both the insidious nature of sin and how blind mankind can be to it. And so this morning, I would just like to take a snapshot of his life and just do an overview of where and how he went wrong and the consequences that followed. And I pray we can all learn some valuable lessons from it. We find his story in the book of Judges in chapters 13 through 16. As you may know, an angel had announced Samson's birth to his parents who had been childless. In the announcement, the angel told them that Samson was to be a Nazarite, From birth. Basically, the Nazarite vow involved three things. You were not to drink wine, nor cut your hair, nor touch anything unclean like a carcass. Sadly, Samson broke all three aspects of that vow. He arrives on the scene in chapter 14, verse 1, where we read Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah. Of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. We can be sure that Samson's parents had taught him from childhood that God had separated and chosen him to be a Nazarite all of his days. So Samson knows he has no business strolling down into the enemy's territory. It doesn't matter how pretty the women are. He knows he is not to be unequally yoked with anyone from a pagan background. But he blows right by the first warning sign. If you take notes, I would write down two words from verse 1, and those are the words, "...went down." It says he went down. This really encapsulates his entire life. Actually, we find it stated three times that Samson went down as traveling to Timnah in only seven verses. The spiritual implication should be obvious. Samson's moral and spiritual pathway was going down just as was his geographic pathway. Samson had wandered four miles into enemy's territory where he was captivated by a Philistine woman. The point is, he was careless. He may not have gone down there looking for a woman, but he was certainly looking while he was down there. He put himself within temptation's reach, and that is something we all need to be careful about. Samson's first words were telling indeed. The first thing we hear out of Samson's mouth is, I have seen a woman. That phrase is Samson's biggest problem in a nutshell. Well, the problems continue in verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the line apart as one would have torn a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. When Samson and his parents went down to Timnah to make arrangements for the marriage, it appears that Samson left the main road and went on a detour into the vineyards. It was here that the line attacked him. As believers, we all have to be very careful about any detours that we take off the straight and the narrow way. If we are not being led by the Spirit, what may seem like an innocent detour may bring us into terrible danger. Samson was a Nazarite. And one of the precepts of the Nazarite was to stay away from the fruit of the vine. Now, if the fruit of the vine is off limits, then it would only seem wise to just stay out of the vineyards. There's an old saying that goes, if you journey through the vineyards, you'll eventually eat the grapes. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here in such a place where he shouldn't have been, Samson comes face to face with such a lion. Now we reach chapter 16 and it gets progressively worse. The next verse says, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Chapter 16 begins with an ominous sign. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute, and so he went in to spend the night with her. Once again, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh combined to grip Samson and make him a slave to its passions. We are then told in the next verse, Afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Delilah. Sorek means the valley of the choice vine. Again, Samson was to stay away from grapes, but he keeps toying with the things that he is supposed to avoid. Instead, he keeps lingering on the border, straddling the fence until Samson's final romance ends in disaster. Delilah's name comes from the Hebrew word dalal, which means to weaken, or impoverish. You would think red flags would have gone up in Samson's head when she said, hey there big boy, my name is to weaken or impoverish, do you want to buy me a drink? This is only further proof to the blinding aspects of what sin can do to you. And her name was fitting because she will be Samson's final weakness that brings him down. The story of how she gets Samson to tell her about his hair is almost laughable if it wasn't so sad. Notice with me, this is the first time in Samson's life that we read of him actually loving a woman. All the others seem to be just a string of one-night stands. And by the way... That is also how sin is in our lives. It may just seem like a string of mistakes, but there comes a point to where we begin to love the sin that we were at one time shocked by. Next week we're going to see in John 8:34, and we will be warned that the one who practices sin becomes enslaved to that sin. Nowhere is this truth more plainly illustrated than in the life of Samson. It's saying that if we consistently and habitually entertain and engage in sinful behavior, there comes a time when, like a callus, we become hard and unfeeling. Now, does a callus appear overnight? No. It takes a certain amount of time doing the same activity to get a callus. So, too, in the spiritual realm. If we engage long enough in any sinful behavior, we can become callous to the point that things that used to bother us now just seem acceptable. But we find that Delilah was the first individual with whom Samson created a relationship that made him vulnerable. It says he loved her, and that word is not used of him anywhere else. But the problem was... She was as cold-blooded and calculating a person as you would ever want to meet. She was completely uninterested in Samson's welfare. Look at verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Did I read that right? How can I afflict you? Listen carefully. If you're single and you're out on a date and your date says, hey, that blue shirt makes your eyes dance. And by the way, how can I afflict you? If that ever happens, you should end the date right there. I'll be doing the comedy, thank you. (laughs) But we think, how stupid can a man be? But you know what? He's not stupid. He's blind. Really, truth be told, Samson was blind a long time before the Philistines ever put out his eyes. He has played around with sin for so long that he doesn't even recognize its danger when it comes to talk to him right to his face in those terms. Verse 7 tells us, And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings yet not dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings not yet dried, and she bound him with them now men were lying in wait staying with her in the room and she said to him the philistines are upon you samson but he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire so the secret of his strength was not known the end of verse 7 really struck me look for look at that phrase for a moment i will be like any other man that is the danger of compromise that we will become like any other man or any other woman that there will be no difference between us and the unsaved that the spirit filled life is traded for the passing pleasures of sin and that our lives would ultimately have no real purpose our prayer should always be Oh, God, please don't let me become like any other man. God never intended for Samson to be like any other man, nor does he us. Look at verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me what with, with what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait standing in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. So here we are in round two with Delilah once again trying to break Samson down. Something else arrested my attention here and it's this. Delilah will take Whatever you give her. Think about that. Whatever information Samson gave her, she used that to bind him. Now, in the place of Delilah, insert that sin that you are struggling with. Is it lying, greed, gossiping, unforgiveness, whatever it is? When we feed our flesh, the enemy is all too happy to take those things and bind us. It says Samson broke the ropes like a thread. Speaking of thread, imagine I have a spool of thread and I ask you to wrap it around my wrist one time and then tie a knot in it. I will then attempt to break that single strand of thread. Would that be a problem? For someone as buff as me, of course not. You're thinking buff, more like buffet. (laughs) How about two strands? A little more difficult, but no problem. Five strands, ten strands, 50 strands. But at a certain point, one more wrap of that thread will be the one that has me in bondage. That is is how sin operates. It may not seem like a big deal, but the more times we allow it to wrap itself around us, the harder it is to break free. And there will come a point when that sin will have us in bondage. Look at verse 13. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me with what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him, so that his soul was vexed to death. Uh Uh-oh. Samson's now getting closer to telling her his secret. He's now directed her attention to his hair. Now he's walking the razor's edge. Isn't it interesting how we love to see sometimes how close to sin that we can get? We think we're in charge, not realizing that we are just getting closer and closer to disaster. Finally, Delilah decided to get serious and play the you don't love me card. She's like, you don't love me. You lied to me. How can we build a relationship on lies? Don't you know how that makes me feel? Can you believe it? She has the unmitigated gall and the nerve to try to play the victim in all this thing. It says here that she pouted and went on a relentless nagging campaign. The text says he was vexed to death. Only if you're married can you fully appreciate what that means. Not me, of course. That's called backpedaling and damage control. She was supposed to be in class this morning. (laughs) But so constantly did Deliah pester him, Samson wanted to die, which ironically was the end result of her pestering. Verse 17. Then he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, "Come in once more, for he has told me all his heart." So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. You know what I think? I believe what was happening in Samson's mind is the same thing that can happen in ours. You see, God had told him that as a Nazarite, he must not touch grapes, touch anything dead, or cut his hair. But he did touch grapes, and nothing happened. Later, he touched a dead carcass. Nothing happened. So maybe, just maybe, he thought to himself, even if I do cut my hair, I bet nothing will happen. I think he's taking a calculated risk here. Maybe we've done the same thing. We may also think, maybe the Bible isn't really as strict as it sounds on this one point. Maybe it won't really matter if I compromise a little here and a little there. After all, I've been doing it and nothing has happened yet. Perhaps I am the exception to the rule. Maybe I'll just keep getting by with it and it's really okay. But it's not. And we won't because it doesn't work that way. Sometimes we get involved in sin and because there is no thunder and lightning, we think we may have gotten away with something. But the whole time God is sending us warnings to turn away from our sin. But if we do ignore those warnings, there will be consequences. So imagine with me, Samson swooning on Delilah's couch, drunk on the wine, perfume, and soft lights. He's thinking she's probably putting on something more comfortable. She's thinking, I knew I put those scissors in here somewhere. Someone once said, Stop flirting with sin or it may kiss you back. Now we see as she lost him, she then torments him. And that is exactly how Satan will work in our lives. First, he will lull us into sin, ensuring us that it's not all that bad. Then after the sin is committed, he'll turn up the heat and begin to torment us for our lack of faith and disloyalty to God. Verse 20 is regarded as one of the saddest verses in all the scripture. It says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. His other vows had long been broken. And when the last fragment of his commitment to God was stripped away from him, his divinely appointed strength was gone. Can you even imagine the shock and how Samson must have felt when he rose up and thought to himself, I'll just break these ropes like all the other times. I have to wonder what ran through his mind when he flexed his arms and the ropes still held him fast. What emotion did he feel when he realized that the Lord had finally departed from him? You see, Samson wasn't weak because his hair had been cut. He was weak because the Lord had left him. If we want to be strong in the things of God, the source of strength is the Holy Spirit. And the secret of that strength lies in consecration, in choosing to say, I am not going to weaken or impoverish my spirit in Gaza or in Sorek or with any Delilah. So what's the answer? How do we deal with the Delilahs and the Valley of Soreks? I read the true story of a pilot who was flying his small plane one day when he heard a noise which he recognized was the gnawing of a rat. Wondering where its sharp teeth was cutting, he suddenly realized with horror that it might be an electric wire. Then he remembered that rodents can't survive at high altitudes. Immediately he began climbing until he had to put on his oxygen mask. Soon the gnawing had ceased, and when he landed, he found the rat dead. Do you want to destroy the power of evil in your life? Then read the Bible regularly, meditate upon its truths, pray, make church a priority, and actively do God's will. And like that rat, we will see that our sinful appetites can't survive in such spiritual heights. The next verse we'll look at is simply tragic. It says, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. Then they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. This verse perfectly portrays the progression of sin. First, sin blinds. Long before Samson's eyes were put out, Samson was already blinded because he thought there would be no repercussions to his sin. And if we persist in sin, a blinding also will eventually take place, and we too will begin to think that our sin really doesn't matter all that much to God. When that happens, like Samson, we will truly be blind. Secondly, in our progression, sin binds. Just as Samson's arm were bound with fetters, Sin in our lives can also hold us captive. We can no longer move about the same way in the Spirit. Our freedom in Christ has been hindered, and our joy and our power are depleted. I'm sure Samson never thought that he would end up this way. And yet, our life is often little more than the sum total of individual choices. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote, Everybody, soon or late, sits down to a banquet of consequences. When it comes to sin, we can choose our sin, but we can never choose the consequences of our sin. So far, we've seen that sin blinds, sin binds, and finally we discover that sin ultimately grinds. First, it will blind us to its danger, and then it will bind us with its consequences. And then the next thing we know, we are grinding under its dominion. Around and around Samson went, grinding at a will. How demeaning and humiliating. Samson had been reduced to doing the work of an ox. And that's always the effect of sin. It reduces us down to the level of an animal. Notice the four things that happened to Samson. First, there's mutilation. They gouged out his eyes. His wandering eyes has caused his heart to wander, and now he's blind. Next, there's deportation. They took him down to Gaza. Then there's incarceration. He was bound with bronze shackles. And finally, there is humiliation. They set him to grinding into prison, which was the work of slaves and animals. But thank God, for there was still hope for Samson, and there is still hope for us. In my Bible, by the next verse, I just wrote the word grace, because that's exactly what this is the grace of God. There was one ray of light in the darkness. The Bible tells us that Samson's hair began to grow again. Now, we know that his power wasn't in his hair, but in what his hair symbolized, his dedication to God. But I believe that as his hair grew, so did his faith. As we close, people say that God is the God of the second chance. But I don't agree. I think he's not the God of a second chance. I think he's the God of another chance. If he had just been the God of a second chance... I would have been out of chances the day that I got saved because I'm sure that I blew it at some point that day. I know you think I'm perfect, but I'm really not. It's hard to even say that with a straight face. So as we finish this morning, let us separate ourselves from any bondage and watch what will happen. The sooner that we die to ourselves, the sooner there can be a resurrection. So right now, you can let go of that axe you've been grinding, of that battle you've been fighting, of that grudge you've been holding. Therefore, I challenge you, as I challenge myself, to move from mediocrity to greatness, not by what we do in life, but in how we let go. If you'd like to find out more, please contact me, and we'll set up a time to talk. And Father, you are the only one who can free us because you paid the price for our freedom. And Lord, I have been in bondage. I've been in bondage as a Christian, Lord. So I know that it can happen. And I know of the miserable existence that follows that. So I pray, Lord, that anyone within the sound of my voice and on the the video tonight, that anyone who is in bondage in any way, that first you reveal it to us. Secondly, you would make us hate that bondage. And then thoroughly that you would free us and give us liberty, for in you there is liberty. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Being the first-